had definitely rejected Christianity by the time I was in high school and um, really thought just it was narrow-minded and really wanted nothing to do with Christianity. I was really anti-Christ. I was really um, hostile to Christianity and I really thought that I was right. I would have called myself a very spiritual person, completely blind, completely lost, um, very prideful, um, and again, thought I really, I really thought I had all the answers. And I kept trying to go back to the spiritual answers that I thought were the truth, and they just weren't working. And my whole, this whole time, my mom is praying, and my mom is loving me. Again, I knew she didn't improve, but I knew she was loving me, and she was there for me. And she was praying. She was praying. And the Lord was being faithful and bringing me to the end of myself and showing me that I was lost and I needed Him desperately. Need a Savior desperately. And this whole time, my mom um, was in a prayer for prodigal group at her church, and she had other believers praying for me regularly. People who now will say, Oh, I was praying for you before I ever knew you. Um, that's huge because that's the body I belong to now and um, I'll tell my mom I know that your prayers were a vital part of why I surrendered to Christ he used I mean he used all those pieces together but my mom was fighting for you know my soul you know with her prayers on her knees so she prayed for me for at least a couple years and um, the prayer for prodigal group and had her brothers and sisters praying for me and she loved me, she prayed, um, she loved me and she prayed, <laughs> she, you know, that's really what she did. Something else that's about what we're talking about today, uh, in the third sermon in the quick three-week uh, series on, um, on prayer, uh, You Are What You Pray, uh, and that's about, uh, that's about powerful praying, and I think that was a video about powerful praying. In these three weeks, we've looked about different aspects of prayer, and uh, we really can't ever exhaust what, uh, what the Bible teaches us about prayer. Uh, and I don't think we ever could get our prayer life to where it really needs to be, but it's a work in progress all the time. And so I would say that these three weeks in which we've been looking at different aspects about prayer and our prayer life, uh, they basically are serving as kind of a refresher course to remind us about the power of prayer, the significance of prayer, the importance of prayer, and why we need to pray, and some things about how we need to pray as well. And all of it boils down to the fact that we have to believe uh, that God is the one who hears and he ultimately responds to prayers, and we have to have that as our faith background. A long time ago, a Baptist pastor uh, by the name of A.C. Dixon wrote these words. He said, when we depend upon organizations, we get what organizations can do. When we depend upon education, we get what education can do. When we depend upon man, we get what man can do. But when we depend upon prayer, we get what God can do. And that's the significance about prayer, is that we get what only God can do when we touch his heart through prayer. As we pray in faith, we pray believing, we pray not doubting, we pray in accordance with his will, we pray with all sins confessed, and we pray yielding ourselves to him completely. What we get is we get God's power. And that's what we need. In the scripture for today in Mark 11, uh, Jesus gives us some teachings about powerful praying and what it does. And we get, begin in Mark 11, verse 24. Uh, Therefore, 
I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. And then in some translations, verse 26 is there. It's not in the NIV that I'm reading from. But verse 26 would read, But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your sins. Now, then we go to a scene that I think continues uh, with the application of this discourse that Jesus is having about prayer. Because the scripture says, they arrived again in Jerusalem. And while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you authority to do this? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question, answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or from men? Tell me. They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, they feared the people, for everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Now with the thought about powerful praying, let's look at what this passage of Scripture teaches us about that. I think the first observation is this, that when we pray in faith, God's power is released. When we pray in faith, God's power is released. See, the essence of faith in our prayers is that we have to believe that God can answer before we see the answers to our prayers. Whenever you ask God for something, you've got to believe that God is going to answer. In verse 23, we didn't read, but Jesus uh, referred to that startling act of faith. He said, do you tell, say to this mountain, throw yourself into the sea, and if you don't doubt in your heart, you believe it will happen, it happens. Now, that's powerful praying. That you have a mountain cast itself into the sea. So the bottom line about praying is you've got to believe that God hears your prayers. And then we're also encouraged through the scriptures, particularly in James chapter 1, uh, about praying and not giving up and praying and not doubting. Because James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. You cannot doubt and call upon God's power in prayer. Now, last week we talked about what we call the mystery of unanswered prayer. Now, a lot of you weren't here because uh, we had a time change and we always are down in attendance when we lose that hour. But we also woke up to 37 degrees in a snowstorm. And well, that was kind of unusual on a Sunday. Now, a lot of good Baptists decided about 4 o'clock Saturday afternoon, we ain't going in the morning. No matter what, right? I'm right. And I know that because I could pretty well look. I could pretty well empty the five-shot shotgun and nobody would have been in danger in both services last week. Right? That's, that's basically the honest truth, okay? Baptists just don't like foul weather. That's, that's just all there is to it. It was fun and exciting and invigorating, but anyway, you weren't here. You missed a great worship experience. You missed a great sermon because we talked about the, uh, this mystery of unanswered prayer. We came to deal with the fact that of how God answers prayer. Sometimes yes, sometimes no, sometimes not now. But we affirm the fact that God always 
answers in accordance with his time and there are conditions in our life. We've got to deal with sin. Uh, we've got to pray in faith. We can't doubt. We've got to have sin confessed in our life. And we have to believe without a doubt that God will hear our prayer. We've got to believe that prayer is what unleashes the power of God. It's like what Jesus said. It's the power to cast a mountain into the sea. Now, whenever I come think about the power of God, my mind goes into one specific direction. I mean, there's a lot of different things I think about, the miracles he performed and all of that. But I think about the power of God in creation. I mean, there's the power of God in the resurrection that he brought Jesus back from the dead. We'll celebrate that in Easter in less than a month from now. But I think about the power of God in creation, not in just creation, everything there is in the world, but also in, in the power of creating human life and that we have a part in that. We got a rosebud on an altar table that reminds us of that a baby born uh, this week in the life of our church. This morning at 4.04, we welcomed our 10th grandchild into the life of our family. Sarah Lynn and Doc had their baby boy. They, they had their baby boy weigh 9 pounds, 12 ounces, 22 inches long. I wasn't there. I, I couldn't be there because I couldn't be there for that at 4 o'clock in the morning and be here and know something about what I was doing uh, while I was here. But Luke Jordan arrived, our 10th grandchild, our fourth grandson, and we're excited about that. I get to meet him this afternoon. As soon as I leave here, I get to go to the hospital and meet him. But think about the power of God and creation of this world. Isaac Newton, a scientist, wrote and said, This most beautiful system of the sun, planets, and comets could only proceed from the counsel and dominion of an intelligent and powerful being. That's a scientist writing about God and his creative power. The Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Science tells us, and it's recorded in in, encyclopedias and other places, that our earth moves in three ways. It spins like a top on its axis. It travels around the sun in its orbit, and it moves through the Milky Way along with the sun and the rest of the solar system. And it is so precise that it's absolutely mind-blowing, and at the same time is done at an alarming rate of speed, 66,700 miles per hour, or about 18.5 miles per second. And all of it is done with such precision that we can stand like this on the face of the earth and not move and not be shaky with our, with our movement or anything like we, we stand firm. And at the same time, you put a cup of coffee on the table and it doesn't rattle and shake. Only this creative God of ours could do that. We've got some uh, pictures that hopefully have been showing something about outer space. That's a part of the theme of our Bible school this summer. I'm looking forward to see how they're going to do that, do galactic sky gazers, how that theme is going to go. And I want you to uh, go with me. Let's take a little trip through, uh, through this outer space that God has created. If we travel at the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles per second. Now, how fast is that? That's fast. Real fast. In fact, if you want to count, you know, you say like 1,001, 1,002. Let's count. Let's say 1,001. Okay, everybody count. 1,001. All right, in that amount of time, you have, circ- you have navigated, circulated, orbited, whatever you want to call it, around the earth seven times at that rate of speed. That's pretty fast, isn't it? 186,000 miles per second and some e- extra miles added to that, okay? So when we look at all this out there in outer space and we start traveling that way, 
Uh, it, to reach the edge of the universe would be there probably in the first day. But then after leaving the solar system, it'd take five and a half light years, and that's traveling at 186,000 miles per second, to reach the nearest star to our sun. Then it would take 100,000 light years to reach the point where looking back from our mental spaceship, we can view the spiral sphere of our own Milky Way galaxy. And then it will take 5 million light years to reach the point where looking back, we can view the cluster of galaxies that the Milky Way is a part of. And then it would take 14 billion light years traveling at 186,000 miles per second to journey to the edge of the universe. Our universe is absolutely vast. And it is put together with perfect precision. And it is done so through the power of God. God created it with his power and he fills it with his awesome presence. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 22 says, He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. Wow, what a God and what power. Now here's what's so important for us to understand. That when we pray and that power of God is unleashed, that power is brought into our life and into the life of this church to do amazing things. We got Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3 up on the screen. His second great prayer in the letter to the Ephesians. And this is what he prays. He said, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know the love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, listen to what that power does. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. At least three times in that prayer Paul is alluding to God's power. And that power is able to do immeasurably more than what we can ask or what we can imagine, Paul says. So here's what happens when we pray. And we pray powerful prayers. The same power that God used to create the universe and everything that is in it is the power that is unleashed to be at work in your life and in mine and the life of the church to do abundantly more than what we could even ask or even conceive of asking. That is fantastic. That's the power of prayer. I don't know about you, but I need that power in my life. We need that power in the church, don't we? So when we pray, 
It's the power of God that's unleashed. Now the next observation is that there is a condition here upon this prayer, unleashing the power of God. Jesus is teaching about forgiveness, and he's teaching us that when we pray with forgiveness, we receive God's mercy. You see, we've already talked about one of the things that hinders our prayer life is unconfessed sin, uh, un- unacknowledged sin, or sin that we know we have, but that we don't confess and we don't give it up. One of those things that hinders God from hearing our prayer is an unforgiving heart. That's why Jesus says, when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgiving, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. We need to understand exactly what Jesus is saying. I think sometimes we, we misunderstand that. That we think, I have to forgive, I must forgive this person for God to forgive me. And you're missing what Jesus is teaching. What Jesus is teaching is this. That if you are forgiven by God and in relationship with God, then you will forgive others. But that's not in our nature, is it? Forgiveness doesn't come easily. We are creatures of revenge by habit, aren't we? But Jesus teaches us that we're supposed to love our enemies and pray for them. And in doing so, that unleashes the power of God. And we receive God's mercy. Now let's make some observations about forgiveness in that concept. Number one is forgiveness is not absolving legal consequences. Perfect example of that is the Dylan Roof case. He goes down to Charleston to Emanuel AME Church and kills nine innocent people. Right before, I think, his sentence and it was when a group of the family members went to him and they had a chance to speak to him. I think maybe it was in the public setting of the hearing or whatever it was. But they all said to him, him uh, I forgive you and may God have mercy on your soul. Well, you can imagine if you follow that, what happened? Social media blew up. People who are not Christian, people who don't understand those principles, people sometimes who were supposed to be Christians couldn't understand what these people were saying. I mean, that's too quick for them to offer forgiveness. They don't need to offer him forgiveness. He needs, to, he, needs, he needs justice is what he needs. Well, they were offering forgiveness, and they were giving God's mercy. But they were leaving it up to our legal system to dispense the justice that will follow. And I think Romans 13 talked to us about that, that it is the government authorities that have that power then to carry out the justice that is demanded. So forgiveness does not absorb legal legal consequences. You can forgive and they still have to face the results of that. Then secondly, forgiving is not forgetting. Oh, this phrase that we forgive and forget, we like that, don't we? Something happens, we'll say, well, let's just forgive and forget. It's not that easy, is it? Or we might say, well, I'll forgive you, but I won't forget it. What you're really saying is, I will tell you you're forgiven, but I'm going to actively remember what you did to me, and I'm going to remind myself of it every time I hear your name. 
That's not real forgiveness. Forgiveness is an active choice. It's a decision that we make that involves our conscience, our soul, our mind. And you have to make the decision to forgive rather than hold on to the offense or the grudge. And forgiveness is releasing, then thirdly, someone from your desire for revenge. See, our natural tendency when we want revenge is to say, I don't get mad, I get even. Right? The Bible word here for forgive literally means to send away or to release. And what it pictures is somebody so angry and confronting somebody else that you've got them by the neck like this. And you really want to choke the daylights or the life out of them. And instead... You release them and you send them away. Hopefully we don't ever get into a confrontation like that. But we do have confrontations to where we get angry, we get frustrated, we get hurt. And we would really like to retaliate, right, against that person. Well, forgiveness is letting go of that harmful urge. Yesterday it was a pretty long day. We kind of thought maybe this is the day that Sarah Lynn is going to have the baby. But we started out over in Irmo at about 8.30 for uh, another grandchild soccer match. And as I was leaving the soccer field because we were in different cars, the cookie would end up staying. And eventually at some point I figured I'd come back unless they had the baby during the middle of the day and all of that. But I had it on um, K-Love Radio. And it was interesting what was on. They were talking about bullying at school and people were calling in. And one couple called in and they talked about the fact that from time to time their child would come in from school and talk about being bullied at school. And they said that what they did was, and I thought, this, this is incredible. This is absolutely amazing. This goes against what, what I would probably do, probably what most of us would do. But this mother said what they did was on, on, a, on a bulletin board in their house, they had a bully prayer list. And every child who bullied their child they put on that bully prayer list and they prayed for that child. Isn't that fantastic? Most of us would do what? We go marching down to that school, we go in the principal's office and say, I want justice. That might reach a point that you have to do something like that. But these people, their first response was to pray for these children. Fantastic, isn't it? That's what Jesus, the essence of what Jesus is teaching. See, if you don't release somebody who's hurt you, you know what you're doing? You're killing yourself. That's one of the darkest prisons you could ever put yourself in. You've got to let go of it. They'll kill you. And if we pray with hatred in our heart, God won't hear us. He won't answer our prayers. But when we forgive, we unleash the power of God's mercy. And that's significant and important. And at the same time, it allows us to come humbly, but yet boldly, confidently, and expectantly into the presence of God with our prayers. And then I think here is the third observation from, from this passage of Scripture, and we move to the teaching in another setting, or the actually maybe the application about it, and it deals with authority. And this is where Jesus has moved uh, into Jerusalem and walking in the temple courts, and the chief priests come to him, and they challenge him about his authority. You see, there's a concept about prayer and praying powerful prayers that has to deal with authority. Who gives us the authority to do this? 
And what kind of authority do we have to pray powerful prayers that unleash the power of God and the mercy of God? Well, let's look at what happens. Jesus is confronted about his authority. And what we learn in this is that our authority comes when we pray in the name of Jesus. Now, what's significant about that is what Jesus said in John 14, verses 12 through 14. You know the setting in John 14 is that Jesus is there gathered in the upper room with the disciples. He is preparing them for his departure through his crucifixion and his death. And he's teaching them. And then he's talking here in these verses about what can happen and what will happen to them as they follow after him. And he says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. Okay, you can dissect that and say, okay, he's been proclaiming the kingdom. We can do that. He's been proclaiming the kingdom. But then he says, he will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Now think about that. I've pondered about that all through the years and I think, this is God in the flesh. This is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, saying, we follow after him and we will do even greater things than he did. This is the God we're told in, in the Bible who created and put everything into place and holds it in, in control. This is the God who performed miracles in the lives of people. This is the God who took a few loaves of bread and some fish and fed thousands of people. This is the God who touched those who were blind and lame and crippled and he healed them. This is the God who walked on the water. This is the God who allowed himself to be nailed to the cross, was dead and buried, placed in the tomb, and then came forth alive. And I'm thinking, Lord, how is it that we're going to do greater things than these? And then it came, comes along later in life as I've pondered over that. It's revealed to me through Scripture and through other teachings that he's talking about doing greater things in scope and in degree. What are we talking about? Well, I apply it to the fact of when my son and sons-in-law are now in ministry, and I look at them and I can talk to them and say, hey, I've been doing this for about 41 years, and things have changed light years since I began. Look at your ministry and what you have today. You can touch the world by your phone. You can preach and send messages right over your phone that will reach hundreds and thousands and maybe millions of people. Look at the information that you have out there that's readily available for use in ministry. Look at where you can go today that we couldn't go 30, 40, 50 years ago and do things. You say, I think that's a part of what Jesus meant when he said that. And boy, that is authority that we will do even greater things to degree and scope. Now, but listen to what Jesus is teaching about this authority issue and how it relates to us in prayer. The first observation is here that Jesus ministered in God's authority. When he was challenged, they didn't understand about his authority. Where did your authority come from? Where did it come from? And Jesus made it clear earlier in his ministry in John 8, 28, that he says, I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. See, when we pray, we ought to pray for the ability to do nothing except what God commands us and wants us to do that's based upon the Scripture. And that authority is not based on what we want, what we see, what we feel, what we need, but what God 
directs towards us. Secondly, Jesus has given us the authority to come to God in prayer. How do we even have the authority to use prayer? Well, the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest, that's Jesus, who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You see, we have the authority to go to God in prayer because of what Jesus has done for us. He opened up the heavens for us so that we can pray with confidence and authority. It's only through Jesus that we have the authority to go to God in prayer. And then Jesus has given us the authority to make a difference. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, 18 through 20. Jesus gave the the authority to his disciples. He said, all authority on heaven and earth is given to me. Go and make disciples. See, that's the mandate to the church. That's our mission. Every evangelical church should have that mission ingrained in its DNA. That we know that our mission is to make disciples. That's making a difference in the culture where we live. And the only way we can do that is through the power of God. When he sent those disciples out into that pre-Christian world, it's a whole lot like our culture today. But he sent them out with the power and the authority that came from God. And he said, go make a difference. Go change the world. Go make disciples. And that should be the essence of our prayer. Yeah, Prayer is to come to God with our personal needs, yes, There are physical needs going through the life of this church that we're in prayer about. Yeah, we're praying for that. People dealing with cancer, people dealing with other issues, you know, we're praying for them. We're praying for people having surgery, recuperating from surgery, and all of those things that we pray for, and those are important. But the most important thing is praying about the ministry of this church and what we're going to do in the power of God that's described in Ephesians 3.20. That where he can do immeasurably more than what we can even conceive of and even think about asking as that power works through the church. So that we can make a difference. Not just so we can be happy and content and prosperous, but so that we can make a difference in this world. That's the power of prayer. It's the power of God that brought this world into into existence through creation that is unleashed when we pray and it is that power that enables us to make a difference. So we should pray. We wrap up this three-week refresher course on prayer. That we should pray in the authority of the name of Jesus with faith, without doubt, claiming the power of God, unleashing that power of God, praying so that God's mercy and grace is distributed through us as we forgive and forgive and forgive. And then we're able to make a difference. That's what prayer can do. So as Jesus taught many times when asked about prayer, he taught about praying without giving up. And that's what we're called to do. Keep on praying. Pray powerful prayers. Father, thank you for the opportunity of prayer, the privilege of prayer. Thank you for how it leads us into your presence and enables us to be in touch with your awesome power, your creative power that brought everything into existence. 
Father, help us to claim by faith without doubting the authority that you have given to us to come to you in prayer so that we can see your power unleashed and we can see your power at work in this world. Help us to be right as we stand before you and pray so that you will hear our prayer and unleash your power. And may that be true in the life of this church as we seek to serve you. For your name, for your glory, and through Christ Jesus we pray. Amen.